Hey everybody, Watermark friends and family, thank you for tuning in. Today we are having a conversational podcast. First time in a while we've done that. And I have with me uh, Bucky Dennis, founding and teaching pastor and Vance Gardner, elder at large. I want to preface before I forget entirely, we're having a continued conversation today on the book of Revelation. And uh, none of us are experts. Actually, uh, we are doing what you're doing. We are doing our, our humble best to figure out what the Holy Spirit is saying through this amazing uh, testimony and letter by the pastor and apostle John, the last book of the Bible. And so I want to give a quick summary, and then we're, we're going to talk about our personal favorite themes so far from the series. And then we're going to handle three major areas of conversation that maybe you've been wondering about. Uh, end times, uh, theories, the mark of the beast, these some popular topics. Um, just because we're not teaching on Sunday about it, and we thought we wanted to do some due diligence to maybe help you, again, with our humble best, <laughs> about how to think about some of these things. And so first, what I want to do is give you a high-level overview of what we've done on Sunday mornings. Uh, and, and, and so much of this, by the way, has been uh, driven by a very helpful book study, uh, a book called Discipleship on the Edge by Daryl Johnson. Uh, and we can't recommend it enough. Uh, my wife and I have been reading it at night to try and keep up with the teaching series. And it has been incredibly practical, really clear, and demystifying some of these greater symbols and images in the book of Revelation. And, and just can't recommend it enough. He's a guy who's a pastor and a teacher. And he kind of gets how people think and what they need today. So that's a guy that we've used. On Sunday mornings, here's what we did. We started with an introduction of the book of Revelation. We said things like, um, the book of Revelation is not a new testimony of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ is the full revelation of God and the full testimony of even God's redemptive history plan. Um, Jesus is the sign. He's the ultimate sign. And uh, so Revelation is a retelling of the gospel. It's not a new gospel. It's a retelling of the gospel through searing graphic imagery. And uh, so that was a lot of what we talked about in the introduction. And we're going to come back to it in a second. I want to hear your guys' thoughts about the theme so far. And then we jumped right into the seven messages to the seven churches in what is modern-day Turkey. And each one of those messages is incredibly timely, even today. So the messages then, 2,000 years ago, still stand as messages for the, definitely, it's our context, the American church today. And you can go back and listen to all seven of those. They're, they're pretty clearly listed on the podcast. And then we jumped from the seven churches to the throne room scene. And uh, that would be Revelation chapter 5 and 6. Bucky did a masterful job talking about the throne room, which we're going to briefly touch on today. And, and we did another jump from the throne room um, across over to um, Revelation 19. Uh, well, I did a quick Sunday message. It was really a continuation of chapter 6 and some of 8 about intercessory prayer. And then chapter 19 was last Sunday. And, and we've got this marriage supper of the Lamb and this... Um, you can see the, the kind of consummation of all the trial and tribulation. And so, in other words, what we're going to try to cover is three major topics between Revelation chapter 6 and Revelation chapter 18. Before we get into those three major topics, guys, Vance, Bucky, what are some of the things, you know, people have been really transformed by this teaching series. I was telling my neighbor yesterday in her church, a great church, our neighbor, uh, Grace Fellowship Church uh, used the same book and they did a revelation series and I told my neighbor I haven't heard people talk about a teaching series like this since we did marriage or sexuality or parenting you know they're just so overtly topical and practical people there's a, bu a natural buzz 
But this series has really rocked people. It's been really affecting people in a deep way. What are some of the things that have affected you guys personally in this study of Revelation? I know you've studied it more than I have. But what, what's some of the things that impacted you personally? And what are some of the themes generally that the book is about? Uh, that's a great question, Ben. And I've loved the series. I've loved to jump in with you guys in my own study. And uh, Daryl's book and the scriptures have forced me to go deeper and more understanding of the book of Revelation, why it was written and what was its original intent to its audience. And the thing that's been so profound to me is how much hope the book offers to a suffering church. And more and more as we see in our world today, things shaking, <laughs> you know, things that we thought were secure and stable, our government, our finances, our jobs, as we see those things shaking and we see the idols of this world revealed for what they truly are, we see more clearly the hope of what God is bringing us in the kingdom hmm. and the hope uh, uh, for a suffering church that God is with us in our suffering and that we can actually overcome and make a difference in our suffering. And I think I always wanted to escape suffering and I looked at the book of Revelation as, where's the escape clause? Because right. i got to figure it out so I can get out of here. Right. You know, yeah. Now I realize the faithfulness <clears throat> is to stay here hmm. and be a faithful witness. Hmm. God will be faithful with the details. But it's encouraging to be more a faithful witness in these struggles and difficult times. That's good. Man, same question for you. Any personal applications through this this second or third or fourth go around in the book of Revelation? And then also, what are some of the general themes you think this book is wrestling with? Yeah, well, so I think you guys have done a great um, few, the first few Sundays on all the letters. And it started, you know, with uh, Jesus. It really starts with Jesus. The whole part is Jesus. It's Jesus as the lamb on the throne, the suffering lamb, like you were saying, the wounded lamb, the wound. That's how he achieved his kingdom. That's how he actually tied up the devil, not by any, you know, man-centered victory that we talk about. It's, it's, it's suffering. And so his, his suffering eventually leads to the complete victory that we will have, but... Um, you know, it's Johnson that has this uh, diagram that talks about the narrative of Scripture, uh, starting with you know us in Eden, which essentially was the Holy of Holies, uh, and then we have this fall. And for the next, all the prophets are talking about this day of the Lord that a lot of people still think this book is about, which it is. But remember, and we talk about this, the apocalypse does not mean the, uh, the catastrophe at the end of the world. Right. It actually just means an unveiling, which you guys have talked about a lot, looking inside the box, but especially to say just looking behind the curtain. Mm. The curtain of what? It's, is, it, is it into the Holy of Holies? I mm. really do. The, and, and we also talk about that's Christ's, Christ's body is that curtain too, going through it, and he did it. So this whole looking toward the day of the Lord that the prophets were talking, kind of started with Christ's birth. Now we, now, now we have the beginning of the coming of the kingdom of God, Christ's birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension. And now he is in the Holy of Holies with us. And Johnson talks about it spilling into us. This Holy of Holies, this kingdom of God, this kingdom of heaven is spilling into us, and it's already happening. It's been happening since Jesus' birth. Mm -hmm. yeah. And there is a suffering, and we'll talk about that in various parts of 
the, the book, how it's talking about the, the church is suffering. There's this, he talks about tectonic plates almost, right. coming up against each other. Uh-huh. And that, you know, the world versus the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of the world coming up against each other. There's a resistance, the resistance to this suffering servant love, mm-hmm. which is very interesting how that could be, but yeah. there is. And that's uh, part of what the church is going through. Uh, since uh, 2,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. So we can get into all that. But that, to me, it's, it's all about Christ. And you just talked about the throne room. There are p- multiple throne room scenes. Right. And each time, Christ is in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's what I'd say would be the, the themes that come to mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for me, um, well, first of all, start by saying, I think I've hidden from the book of Revelation, <laughs> stayed, stayed clear of it, and uh, read it before in my annual kind of overview of of the the bible cover to cover but this is the first time i've ever studied it and and that's why i'm so thankful for the tool of daryl johnson's book because it really did decode or demystify so many of the symbols that can be overwhelming and convoluted and even complex and then you your your mind because it's so shackled with a lack of imagination today has to you have to dust off and break free of those shackles and so it's nice to have a companion um Bucky has said to me repeatedly over the last like three, four weeks, man, this, this book, um, in my words, not his, this book's kind of messing me up. Like you start to, you do get immersed in the, the, the visuals and the imagery mm-hmm. of it. And they, they therefore start to be, feel a little bit more real. And, and, you, and you feel the author, Johnson, is so consistent in this theme. Uh, things are not as they seem. Things are not as they seem. You look around in the world today and things are not what they seem. You know, they're not what meets the naked eye. And um, I saw a post on the internet the other day. The guy said, um, um, what you're seeing and what is true is not the same thing. <laughs> is that profound? Oh, that's, that's what profound. you are seeing and what are true is not the same thing. And I, and I really believe even the well, at least it's part of the truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We I mean, there, part, is a, there is a reality that we see, Yeah, but it's part of the truth. I think that's fair. Yeah. But I think even the, the, the memo in the beginning of the book of Revelation is a chapter one, right? This is meant to be read aloud. Read this aloud yeah. to the churches. Yeah. Um, I think the effectiveness of that is, I've felt that, and that's been personal to mm-hmm. me, is that it really does feel um, more vivid and more pressing, more urgent, uh, the times that we're living in. And um, and also, the last thing I'll say about themes is it really does seem so clear to me that God cares about the orders of our hearts. He cares about fidelity. <laughs> he is very monogamous. Mm. Um, and that's cover to cover. That's the, that's, not, that's the nothing new. We talked about that Sunday. Here's the jealous God and the God who's going to be the groom and we're going to be the bride. And if you really make that material, like if you really think about a natural marriage here on earth and you just think... That's the only way I think we can make sense of his fidelity and his monogamy mm-hmm. is, is he really wants our whole hearts and he won't settle. He really won't settle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're going to get into that today too. He won't settle for anything less. He's right. a jealous God. So, um, okay, cool. That's the opening. Let's jump into, I'm going to call this section, guys, the very first subject, which is a, a little bit of Revelation 6 in the seals, a little bit of Revelation uh, 7, 8, 9 with uh, um, the trumpets and the bowls. This is really trials and tribulation. I mean, kind of, wouldn't you agree? There's these things, these pressures, and these t- these issues that we're seeing. Maybe they're health, maybe they're political, maybe they're governmental, maybe they're commerce, and um, we're called to bear under these pressures, these these crushing pressures. Um, up for grabs, popcorn style. Jump in, guys, and let's talk a little bit about what we see in the trumpets and the witnesses and, and the trial and tribulation. 
Yeah, I think that um, we see Jesus in heaven holding the scroll with the seals, and only he is worthy to open those seals. And that opening of the seals is actually the beginning of consummating the kingdom, and that's what we're praying for. And so that's the great hope that we have. But as a part of that consummation, it brings justice. It brings giving uh, mankind over to what we desire. Do we desire his kingdom or do we desire our kingdom? And ultimately, as those seals are unleashed and God gives us over, which is his wrath, to what we've desired, these kingdoms start to clash more. These plates start to create more friction. And I think that's part of what you're seeing is it's, it's the, 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 the judgment that comes from the kingdoms that are conflicting. The, the, the trials and tribulations that are wrought upon the world are a result of decisions that men have made mm-hmm. and God giving them over to the, the decision and the just reward for that. Right. And so I think that's part of what we're seeing happening as Jesus opens the scrolls and prepares for the ultimate coming of his kingdom. Yeah. Yeah, um, <clears throat> that's right. And you guys have already t- covered that this is a letter uh, not just specifically the seven letters, but also this whole book is a letter to all of those churches. And really, a letter is meant to be t- passed on, so it's a letter for us too. But it was a letter for, very specifically for them because there were certain specific tribulations they were going through also. Um, and this, this letter is a, a prophecy too, a foretelling and a foretelling, telling what's going on, but also what may happen. And then finally, it's what we said, like we, uh, it's the apocalypse or the unveiling. Um, for those people that were sitting around in 96 AD, their tribulations were somewhat similar, economic, health, definitely health. But they also had this guy, this Roman Empire emperor was telling them to throw the incense into the uh, altar uh, right. and praise and, and worship him. Mm-hmm. I guess we do have that still. We have... You don't know what he's compelling us to do that, but there is this, like you were talking about, the two different worlds, two different kingdoms. One is going to be worshipped. The, the, we, we have to worship. We are made to worship. And the, the worship of the other world um, is what we are prone to do if we don't understand who actually is the king of kings and Lord of Lords. And, that, and that's where we start to turn towards him. And there's a repentance. And this is all uh, covered pretty well. And I think the first, like you said, six is all of the tribulation that's occurring, chapter six, on the, uh, towards the church since it was, uh, since essentially Jesus was born. We have Herod coming after him right after, off the bat uh, until now. So there's, there's, there's forces of the world and the devil. Satan definitely is a force also that's controlling the world uh, is coming at the, ch- the kingdom of God as it is near, it is, as it is expanding, as it is continuing into this world, there's this pressure and resistance back at it. And that's a resistance not because we're coming at them with a sword. We're coming at them because of what we should be. And I'm not sure about it all the time, but we're coming at them through love. We're coming at the world I shouldn't say them. It's not us or them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's we're coming at the world. The world. Mm-hmm. We should be coming at the world with love, and even that uh, creates a lot of friction. Yeah, right. I love that imagery from Bucky's message about the throne and and our our position as the church is to is sacrificial love, sacrificial service, yes. and that was um, 
yeah, that was powerful because <laughs> even my my brain is so drenched with the powers of the world and, right. and, and power over, but the Jesus way is power under, which is profound. And we're not going to choose that default of what is it what is it for them instead of what is it for me. Mm-hmm. We usually choose what is it for me. Uh, sacrificial can be just getting up in the morning and uh, calling a friend of yours who's sick or 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 they're having a, a difficult marital problem or whatever, and you have to create that time in your, in your schedule to do that. So good. It's a somewhat of a sacrifice. Yeah, that is so good. When I got home from the message Sunday, and I talked a lot about marriage and singleness and how we, you know, get a bigger heavenly vision for our marriage and our singleness as we're wed to Jesus. And I was debriefing the message with Riley, and Riley says, yeah, really? Because she was like, Ben, that's a really hard pill to swallow, to call someone out of infidelity, to reconcile their marriage. Like... That's really crazy. And, and then she said, she processed it out loud and said, well, I guess what, you're, what the revelation is giving us is a vision from me to we. And that's what marriage is. You move from, it's no longer me, but we. And, 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 and let's just take the dramatic example of an infidelity. When, that, when a person cheats, that's a me vision, right? And that's a very worldly driven, me, selfish, selfish, right? Right. And then that, that enacts a lever for the cheated on spouse to say, well, I should respond in kind, which is me. You know, right. I should defend and protect and a, spare myself. It's a break of the oneness. Yeah. And that goes full circle to what you're talking about, Bucky, about evil folding in on itself or the world's ways folding in on itself. That's, it's this, you know, this, um, Kenta would call it the, the, the never satiated beast, you know, not in the derivation sense, but it's all hungry. It's always hungry. You know, you can't feed it enough. But I want to, I want to, one of the questions in this first topic is trial and tribulation, and that's what people are going to wonder about is trial and tribulation. Well, if you're reading along and you go, and please do this, do, check everything we're saying today by reading line by line in your book of Revelation. But chapter 8, 9, and 10 have these, these pictures of, of these terrible uh, seasons and evils coming on the earth um, from, you know, uh, locusts and scorpion-like locusts and, the, tr- and, and then blood raining down and the undrinkable water and, um, you know, all of these pains and these torturous things. And it's all with the, the title of trumpets. So I love the idea of trumpets. I, I happened to read this this morning, um, the, Johnson's explanation of 8, 9, and 10 and the trumpets. And the trumpets was like the watchman. So the watchman on the tower when he saw the enemy approaching, was supposed to blow the trumpet, right? And, and I was so, like, almost wishful thinking to me was, oh, God, I wish you could blow an audible trumpet from heaven right now. <laughs> you know, you, if you did, if we, everyone could hear that, and it was unmistakable, and you couldn't chalk it up to, you know, gases in the sky or UFO or whatever, but that's what people would do, by the way, and that's what Revelation says. Yeah. Like, man, we, could, we Christians could rise up and say, did you hear that? That's spoken about here in Revelation 8, 9, and 10. And, and, and long story short, Johnson essentially says that he says, even though these are hyper, like, dramatic images we're reading in 8, 9, 10 about what's going on in the world today, I think, you guys correct me if I'm wrong, he extends that and says, this could be any season. This could be, he likens it to um, Columbine and the great evil of, you know, mass shootings. He likens it to uh, health crises, uh, famine and disease. You know, he, he, you know that those, we're, seen, we're crunched in that point of history right now. 
So that's right. the one thing that he would say, and I think that's right. I think, once again, we read it as symbol, not specificity. Symbol, not specificity is a helpful tool that I've learned from Johnson. Right. Symbol, not statistics. Yeah, not statistic. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, yeah. The, and the last thing I'm going to say is, so that, that's the world we're living in now. I, I think Daryl supports that, and many other great thinkers do, and that we would affirm that as a church. That's the world we're living in now. We see all these trial and tribulation. The last thing I want to say, and I want to hear you guys on trial and tribulation, he, he, he gets to chapter 10. And chapter 10 has this imagery of the, the angel and the scroll. And John is going to ingest this scroll. <laughs> it's so cool and weird, but cool. And, it's gonna, and the angel tells him, it's going to be sweet in your mouth, but sour in your belly. And this is the predicament for Christians who are called to witness, Vance. This mm-hmm. is the prophetic. You said this book is prophetic. And then Christians become prophetic in this way. Listener, if you're listening right now, I'm not talking about we have some kind of foreknowledge and we can foretell the future. Prophetic means that you have this fidelity and allegiance to the Word of God, and you're calling people back to that. And so John has this very literal fire in his belly to call people back to this fidelity. Now, I just want to say something really practical right from Daryl Johnson's book, because if you're the believer, this is what you should latch on to. Um, we're trying to give you some helpful tips about the meaning, but the, the, our job living in this era as Christians is threefold. This is directly from Daryl Johnson, page 209. First, we need to repent of anything and everything, contrary to God's will and way. Second, we need to intercede. We plead for mercy for those who do not know the living God. And third, we need to commit to prophesy, to declare, thus says the Lord, in the circles where we live and work. So summary, I just love this, guys, and you take this anywhere you want, but repent, intercede, and prophesy, meaning call people back to what the word of God says. And what a guide, you know? Like three words. If we as the church or church leaders could just hold fast to that, particularly, this is the last thing I'm going to say, particularly the repent and repent and repent and repent, and then we're not done repenting. That really spoke to me this morning as I was right. covering it. But that's, that's like the work of the believer today. Repent, intercede, and speak the truth of Scripture. Right. Yeah, beautiful. Um, I, I love to look at uh, these different ideas of tribulation and suffering. He, he uses the, the, the word... Uh, seals, trumpets, mm-hmm. bowls. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I love the imagery in uh, Romans chapter 8 where he talks about birth pains. Mm. So there's a groaning, there's, a, uh, there's birth pains, and these pain, birth pains, all of us have been in that delivery room. <laughs> those, are, those are hard for our wives, and yet they're a sign that something beautiful and wonderful is being born and is going to come. And, and they, they, get, they, they rise and they fall, but they get more intense and they get more powerful as the delivery is coming, right? And so I, like, I, I see these, these tribulations in the same way. They're, they're, they're pains, uh, they're groanings of the creation. The creation's uh, groaning because it's a longing for uh, redemption. It's longing to be put back to where it was originally designed for. And that's kind of the trumpeting part of it. That's kind of the... This, the, 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 the beautiful grace part of this, this tribulation, it's a warning sign to us that, hey, we ought to wake up and listen to the signs of the time and say, hey, there's something going on here. There's a bigger story, and I'm not in control. Somebody else is in control. Right. And what does that mean for me? Mm-hmm. And obviously, those are great questions in the heart of man, but who's going to answer those questions? Only the church. Mm-hmm. The church has to step up and say, I know the answer to your question. There is a God. He's on the throne. His name is Jesus and he gave his life for you. And so we are called to witness during those birth pains of the coming of God's kingdom. And the thing that I love about Revelation 7 is it says before the seals are open, the saints are sealed. Mm. 
So there's this beautiful imagery of God sealing his people, you know, protecting them. And that doesn't mean from physical harm. It's protecting their eternal hope in their future. I, I believe that seal is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, of God placing his own uh, sign on us that we are saved, we're sanctified, we're going to be with him for eternity. And that seal preserves us through the tribulation. The church has that seal, the church has that hope, and that gives us the strength then to go out and prophesy, even though the message sometimes has bitterness to it. We don't have to be insecure about that because we've been sealed for eternity. And so that's important, I think, for us to hold on to as we go through these difficult times and birth pains. That's good. Uh, and that uh, obviously provides hope. I mean, so you're sealed during this tribulation because the seals, according to Johnson, are kind of a, a way of looking at the what's happened to the church for the last 2,000 years, like we talked about. It's, it's one uh, something coming up against it after another. Uh, whatever empire, whatever it was, uh, it's coming at them, and it's continue. So that tribulation, we are sealed, like you're saying, and it's mm-hmm. a hope. It's a hope. We are uh, already reigning. That's another kind of part of the New Testament, but it's brought out here in Revelation too. We are, according to Ephesians two and the Colossians, and we are reigning. We are with Him mm-hmm. in heaven, mm-hmm. sealed by the Holy Spirit, uh, united to Him next to the Father, on the Father's lap, yeah. uh, with Him, in Him. So, uh, you know, this is, this is a hope. Mm-hmm. So we can get through all the different things that happen in life with something that's different than uh, what's going to happen to me is my, what's going to happen, do I have a soul? These are the questions that people have out in the world right now. Do I have a soul? Is that soul going to do so, go somewhere or do something? When I'm dead, we all know we're going to die. But this hope allows us to realize we are in Christ, sealed by the Holy Spirit, united to him right now. And uh, we can then be his image maker, his, his image bearer, his ambassador, because he's in us moving us out. Even if we're moving into something, something that's very difficult, very, uh, you know, pr- a lot of pressure. And that's what tribulation or philipsis means, philipsis. It means it, it, it means all the pressure in life from right. every time you get up in the morning till you go to bed. You got familial relationships, economic uh, work, on and on and on, difficulties. And if you go with them with a sword, uh, a tough, powerful way, uh, it's, that's, that's not going to be uh, satisfying. Mm. And in the end, it's going to be uh, destructive. If you go with these tribulations the way Christ went to the cross, died, you know, laid down his life uh, for whoever it is that you, that you are having tribulation from, or let's say you know somebody that has that. If you go to it, if you go towards it, instead of like you say, run from it, uh, that's, that's not what Revelation's about. We're not running from something. We're going towards something right. in love because we're united to Christ in the seal of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, so, so my final thing on tribulation and, and witnessing, that's a perfect segue for what you just said, Vance. How did Jesus fight? What were his weapons? And he laid down his life. And right. I wish I had this when I preached. I only read it this morning. But the, the author, you know, this is Daryl Johnson here. He says, Revelation 11, this is the heart of it. Um, 
if witnesses get killed doing their prophetic work, they win. <laughs> so we're talking about martyrdom. I don't know if we'll get to come back to this later, so I want to talk about martyrdom really quickly before we move off. Witnessing to the work of God in the world, witnessing to how his, his word is still good today, and then living that out through our actions every day. That's a rough definition of witnessing. He says when, if they die doing that, they win. Actually, it's a question mark. They win? Things are not as they seem. They win because they have a new life in the city of God. They also win. This is the, just profoundly spoke to me. They also win because killing the witnesses does something to the great city. It breaks the heart of the city. It breaks the heart of those who kill. And it wins the killers. <laughs> I love that. Mm-hmm. So even in, this is like some of the fruit of martyrdom. I didn't have that full definition on Sunday. So now we're podcasting and we get to elaborate the definition of why martyrdom, why martyrs and why martyrdom. If you believers listening right now are feeling the crushing weight of the trial and tribulation today, and you feel like you're at the point of death, um, the, the watching world is that. It's watching. And I love the imagery that Johnson uses from maybe 2nd, 3rd, 4th century, the Colosseum. Mm-hmm. And, there was a, and there was a Christian who uh, stood up, jumped into the fray as, as men were killing each other. I don't know if it was myth or if it was a record, but that, that this believer jumped into the Colosseum and stopped the man from killing the other warrior. And even though everyone said, thumbs up, kill him. We want to see the bloodshed. You know, you can just see the human right. fallenness. Just show us UFC fight. The you know, show lose. us the bloody, bloody <laughs> mess. If he kills the guy, man, we'll be able to. And by the way, just as a side note, you know, watching, I heard this on the news the other day that, um, and there's other examples of this, and it didn't just start in 2020, but you know how many people watched the George Floyd killing on their screens? And that was the first time they ever saw someone die on television? No, I don't. That, that, that's, that's graphically profound, isn't it? Children, men, women, and children watch someone die on, on television. It wasn't something that the government or whoever censors media and social media, the social media watchdogs that stop videos from being published. It happens all the time, you know? That's a dark job. There's someone who has that job at Facebook, and they have to stop those videos of people killing or mutilating animals or doing harmful things to other human beings. And so... Talk about uh, graphic imagery of what mm-hmm. that will do to someone, oh, right? Yeah. But, but unfortunately, yeah. the effect was more desensitizing. Mm-hmm. And we watch it, and we just because it happen on our screens, it doesn't have that affect, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And yet, what it's meant to do, this martyrdom, is meant to, is meant to break the city's heart. Mm-hmm. Because someone did a sacrificial, they, they gave their lives, and, and it put a bad taste in that audience, back to the Colosseum, put a bad taste in their mouth mm-hmm. to see this innocent lamb give their life. And it's said in the history, if this was history, that they didn't, they didn't do those affairs anymore. They didn't mm, do those after contests that, anymore. Yeah, yeah. So that was fruitful. That, guy, yeah, that, that yeah. witnesses martyrdom was so fruitful. Yeah. yeah. One of the early church fathers, I believe, said martyrdom is seed for the gospel. Mm. It's, it's, it's fertilizer. It's, it, it actually breaks open the heart. Yeah. You know, that sacrificial witness. Right. You know. Yeah. And sets up, sets up the gospel. Yeah. Right? powerful that's such an archaic because the witness the word witness in greek meaning is marteo or martineo or Mm -hmm. you know it's it slowly came through the years to be associated with death Mm -hmm. actually martyrdom Mm -hmm. dying uh but the word witness was really just to go out there and tell your story tell tell what you have tell you know uh proclaim the gospel as a witness and eventually it became, you proclaim the gospel, but you will probably or might die. Right. And that's where the word martyr comes from. Yeah, we're just so, I think we're so far away from that now. Yeah. And so it's timely to come back to it. 
let's jump into the second subject today. Uh, categorically, we'll call it the unholy trinity. So a lot of people, you listener, maybe the question on your mind is, what about the beast? And what about the antichrist? Have I already met him? Is he in power right now in office somewhere? You know, these questions come up all the time. And what about the harlot or a.k.a. the prostitute or, you know, the woman riding, you know, on the beast? I think she was riding mm-hmm. on the beast at one point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the listener's questions. Let's jump into that, shall we, guys? Yeah, um, yeah. I just w- quickly wanted to say that we talked about tribulation. That is the seals. Uh, there's also the uh, trumpets, which seem to be more like wraths. That is uh, the wrath of God, and uh, it does provide. I think you even mentioned this before we started talking. Mercy, though, because it's it's written mm-hmm. as if there's about one third or sometimes one half who do not get that. And final, the bull judgments, and they seem to be all going at the same time. Yeah. So it's not a sequential. Uh, 21 different episodes, seven episodes once, seven episodes another time. It's actually all happening at the same time, From looked at from different perspectives, either from the church's perspective or the world's perspective, which is hopefully they're going to repent uh, if, these, if, if these judgments are occurring on them. And then finally from the bulls, from the heavens perspective, where it's there is no f- further time, and then it leads into the into the judgment. So, if you're talking about the um, the beasts, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they come out a little bit after yeah. it's chapter, chapter thirteen. 13. Right. Uh, the dragon gets. Uh, I think we find, we hear about him in chapter twelve. I just want to tell you, chapter twelve is kind of a middle chapter that doesn't have any sequence to it historically, uh, in terms of you know where we are uh, in, in the sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's actually seems to be the church is the woman that is uh, being threatened by the dragon. And uh, you know, Johnson talks about a, it's a cartoon you could even think yeah, of. He says right. back in 97, I think Hong Kong was about ready to uh, be swallowed up. There was a cartoon in, in the L.A. Times, swallowed up by, the, by this big dragon. And was there a dragon there? If you flew in to Hong Kong at the time, would you see a dragon? No, that was China. And we're seeing that right now, actually, mm-hmm. the dragon. So there is a dragon that's, uh, that is after the woman. And the woman, it turns out to be symbolically very similar to uh, uh, other t- Old Testament um, uh, chapters that are talking about, um, I think she has uh, 12 stars around her, which is, is, is somewhat of what Joseph's dream. And then there's something else, I think it's an exodus, where the the woman is actually um, uh, symbolically the, the Israel. And then all the way through, the, it's, it's the people of God. And then also the, the, he, she has this baby. Well, this baby, now she becomes Mary, essentially. Mm-hmm. And this baby is Christ. And so all that happened 96 years before the birth of, of that baby, right. Jesus, the first Christmas. Right. Happened 96 years before John is seeing this. So this mm-hmm. is not going to happen in the future. Right. This isn't happening then. This happened before. And it's in the middle of this book. So the sequential aspect of this, which we kind of always looked at, is, oh, what's next? What's next? What's next? It's actually what he sees, and that's part of what Johnson says. Right. Not what's next, but what does he see next? Yes. So in chapter 12, we see the, the, the devil, or the Satan, uh, and then he gets thrown down to earth, and I think at that point he starts to, I think he gets bonded, in bondage, which Christ did. We know that. Uh, placed him in bondage. He's not in the lake of fire yet. He's in bondage. But all of a sudden, these two beasts come out in chapter 13 which would either be called which they could talk about the beast of the sea is the political powers of the of the world um that are manipulated by the by the devil 
and then the beast of the earth would be religious powers. And if you could, that are manipulated by the devil. And you can see both of those powers coming at Christ the day of his crucifixion. The religious and the, the political powers coming at Christ, right. both crucifying him. Right. And then from that point on, the same thing continues. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so the, the, that is, those are the two beasts that I think is a good, good idea, a good way of looking at the two than uh, any specific um, uh, kind of supernatural beast that we're going to see in the future. Yeah. Coming in with a B-52 or something. Right. Yeah, so <laughs> I, it's just a firm, because you, you just hit a lot of answers to people's questions, Vance. Um, uh, number one, it's not historically sequential. So Christians, please, if you've been taught to do that or, or you're tempted to do that, you don't have to do that here. It's not what, what, what comes next in historical sequence. It's what John sees next. So we can stop trying to hack the book of Revelation and figure it all out. We all want the full wisdom and knowledge of God, but we're not going to be God. So we don't, we can't, we don't need to call those chronological shots anymore. And then not to be confusing, but you have the, there's two women that all of a sudden pop up. One is Mary, good guy. And then one is the Harlot. Oh, Israel the and guy. then eventually Mary. Yeah, yeah. The, the whole people of God. Yes. Yes. And, and so, then the bad, the one of, I think what's, it's chapter 18. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that you're the Babylon right. lady. Johnson suggests that if, yeah. for the listener to follow through in the book of Revelation, in that sequence of the chapters of Revelation, chapter 12, he says is uh, it really is that it's the central axis, he calls it. Yeah, so it's the hinge. And it's going to be a war with, with sub-scenes. So if you, if you want to study this, there's several scenes that jump around. Revelation 12, 13, uh, first half, second half, and then 14, first half second half of 14, and then finally the, fir- the beginning of chapter 15. These are the se- seven sub-scenes of this war. And he describes it as uh, the war behind all wars. It's a cosmic war. Um, but amazingly enough, and this is what Johnson tries to help us see in the book of Revelation, is there's earthly impact here. So there's this, it's one, it's one on earth. This, there's this, been this great cosmic war but it's it, it's it starts in heaven long ago that's even part of your point that mm-hmm. this is way preceding mm-hmm. john's time in the year mm-hmm. AD 96 mm-hmm. um but this decisive victory for heaven is won on earth and, and we know he's he has bound satan right. and I, I like his uh, uh yeah, description of that it's like a mafia boss in the prison uh, but still has control. He still has power over the beast of the earth and the beast of the sea, right. the two political and religious powers that he's manipulating. Right. So Yeah, and somehow as a part of, as we move forward in the book of Revelation and we get these different perspectives, from the heavenly realm as these seals, these trumpets, and then these bulls are opened up or unleashed, somehow Satan is given more ability or unleashed somewhat mm-hmm. and through those two beasts yeah and so he's able then to begin to align the kingdoms of the world against christ and his kingdom and that's basically he wants to use the beast government and the beast false religion to bring those to bear and to go against christ and his plan to establish his kingdom and so we see this heavenly conflict that goes all the way back to the beginning of Genesis, right. then which is revisited again in Christ's coming and his birth and trying to kill him as a baby and so how him being saved and then the birth of the church out of his death and resurrection and now uh, Satan attacking 
you know, God's plan to rule his kingdom through his people. And this is all coming to fruition and coming to head as we move forward through the book of Revelation. And so things are not as they seem. All the things that we see out there that we blame governments ultimately for, or we look at wars and we blame technology, or all the things that are happening, the corruption, behind them there is an evil, sinister force that's satanic, that's spiritual, and he's the ultimate one pulling the strings that are trying to destroy Christ and his kingdom. And because he hates Jesus and his kingdom, guess mm. what? He doesn't like us. He's coming after the church, right? And so that's what we see here in this these chapters yeah so i want to i want to start by talking about just the thing i have a better handle on than the other things if you guys want to talk about the beast and the harlot more or the antichrist bucky and vance please do the thing that really i I grabbed onto the most was babylon and so that's Mm -hmm. another thing that everyone wants to theorize about the christians for all time want to talk about is it a particular geographical thing is it the spiritual thing and that's what i appreciate about what johnson does is is that um Babylon is really any idolatrous city. So he's going to say that it's that, that we're, the church is called to the city and we're partnering with God as co-regents and co-heirs to redeem the city and make the city's heart break. Um, but as long as the city and its, and its government, its commerce and its education and its every form, even the church, when the church needs to repent and, mm-hmm. and, the, and the church has been entertaining audiences with the harlot, then it needs to repent. And it's been a part of the problem. We saw that from the seven messages. But um, I'll just read this here from 317. The answer, oh, let's see. Uh, is he referring to a particular city, a particular nation of the first century actually called Babylon? The answer is no. Babylon is a code word in this book with a long, long history. It starts um, even before recorded history. We talked about this from Sunday Message, Babel, the first rebellious city. We're going to build, they use the first ever technology, bricks, and we're going to, we're going to highlight ourselves. That's a me vision yeah. of the world. We're going right? to build our tower to, to the heavens. Right. And so he ends the paragraph, Babylon is a code word for humanity seeking to build the city without God. Right. And so Babylon being kind of the commerce and economic engine of the world, that uh, we all kind of default to, and we, but then there's a, the other beast, the beast of the earth, uh, false uh, religion. I mean, it can be anything we worship, and you know, I mean, it can anything be from Madison Avenue, which is helping us worship whatever it is that we want to buy or whatever what else we, we want to have or do or go to or whatever. Both of those lead us away from God. Both the, and not that they're bad things, but because we, begin to worship what it is that they are promoting, we, we, we essentially push, we rebel. We push God out of our life. Right. We rebel. Right. And it's when I say we, I mean all of us, mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. And that's his whole point. I think Babel is not just cities, although it's a big, it's a big book about cities. No question about it. Yes. Cities are really important. Right. And the final new city is the new heaven and mm-hmm. new earth. Mm-hmm. It's the perfect city. And Abraham has been waiting for that, according to the book of Hebrews. Right. But uh, it's also what's in our hearts. And you talk a lot about that. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, how do we shove God out of our hearts we, how do we not love him? How do we not worship him? How do we not fall on our face in front of him knowing what we know? Mm-hmm. But we immediately go to those other either um, the, two, the, the other things they worship that are promoted by the two beasts. Yep. I think we, we see the roots of that even in our America today as we've just gone through 
you know, tremendous uh, birth pains, whether that's been COVID, uh, the division of our politics, the, the, the challenges we've been through in recent years, we can see the, the roots of the deception. And I think I see it mostly in Christian nas nationalism, that somehow a political party can become the savior of America somehow by our voting and by us protecting our, our wealth and riches through a party that somehow America is the great savior of the world. That is a deception that we have to guard against. But then on the other side, it's Christian progressivism, that somehow through our liberalism and our, our great ideologies that somehow we can free humanity without the gospel. Yes. And so we have to guard against both of those because these are the roots of the beast. And right. They're always trying to deceive us. And so we can begin yeah. to protect our hearts even now by having fidelity, Ben, as you said, fidelity to Christ, to his kingdom, and the call for us to witness and to suffer with the poor and the broken. I think mm. that's what we have to stay in the church. Yeah. That's, that's, Amen, brother. Yeah, that's a beautiful picture. Um, as we... Before we move to the three historical views of timing, we are going to finally address a timing conversation that's a prominent question and good views. There's great theological views on this. Is there any last words, um, Bucky or Vance, you want to say about Antichrist or the Mark um, or even the Harlot before we move off of that subject? Uh, I would just say that um, as I have gone through my own journey um, and the mark of the beast idea, at, at first my understanding of that uh, promoted a lot of fear and the idea that, again, you had to crack the code. You had to figure that out. What, is it a chip embedded in my hand? Is it some system that's going to... Social security to, number. Yeah, my information right. too. Is it this mm -hmm. certain mark that I'm going to get tattooed with? And so it sparked a lot of fear and a lot of avoidance and i've seen christians going on that track and we've seen a lot of failure as a result of that y2k other things and so i really love this author's point of view that ultimately uh this mark just like the seal of the holy spirit is an internal thing it has to do with our character it has to do with our essence mm. and those that are following the beast are transformed into his image just like mm. the holy spirit transformed us in the image of christ when you follow the corrupt system, when you follow the lies of Satan, you are transformed into his image, a liar, a thief, a deceiver. So I think it's more of an internal thing that comes out in a person versus an actual thing. Now, it could be those things. Obviously, we have to have wisdom, but I think it's more of an internal thing. Mm -hmm. That's what I feel more comfortable with these days. Yeah, yes. that's, that's huge, Bucky. And I think, um, that, by the way, this is where we're caught up to is uh, 17. Verse 17 is where we've been camping out. talks about the harlot and the beast. And, um, um, and then we're going to jump into the three uh, basic views. I just want to make sure I had everything on here from that previous chapter. Yeah, so that's the other woman, which mm -hmm. we talked about, you know, right. is essentially uh, signifies, again, uh, the Babylon. And, and, and then the 18 is the fall of Babylon. Um, She's making she's she's uh, uh, making love with all the com commerce of the world. She's a prostitute, it says in chapter seventeen, because she sells herself to um, anything anybody will buy her. And in the end, those guys that are uh, essentially doing business with her uh, don't care about her at all. Let her just fall to the end. Right. Um, and then you know Babylon has fallen. Babylon has fallen is chapter eighteen. Um, it's interesting how he also talks about how. Uh, there's a lot of songs in in this. In this one, this chapter 18 is is like a lot. It's a lot of singing. Mm -hmm. You see, 
uh, it's kind of written that with a mighty voice he shouted, and then he goes on and on. Bab- fallen, fallen Babylon the Great, she has become a home for demons. And uh, then I heard another voice again. Every time it's either I see something or I saw or I heard something. Right. And uh, how did how, what was he seeing? This is another thing that Johnson points out: is that it wasn't a vision in his head, because at the very beginning in chapter one, this. A voice occurs, and he says, I turned and looked, and then he saw Jesus, the risen Jesus. So it's, it's outside his head. It's something outside his body. Who, uh, you know, how Jesus could do that, we, we definitely could see that now, how that could be done easily, um, and how Jesus probably presented this, all these images to him, um, in a, in a, and, and noises, exactly the way he wrote it down. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, let's do a summary because I just found it. I was struggling to find it earlier, um, but and it's it's it just reiterates exactly what you just said, Vance. From Revelation 17, first five verses, there's an introduction of this woman, the prostitute or the harlot, and the, this is Johnson gives us again helpful, relatable language here that this is the evil trinity, if you will, and so just those characters really quickly, and then we'll move on to our final subject. Um, the harlot, she is the first member, and she sits on the many waters over whom she reigns. The beast is the second member of this evil trinity. The first member, uh, by the way, is the dragon, the evil one, Satan. So that, let's just, so here's the recap. The first member is the dragon, the evil one, Satan. The second member is the beast from the sea, and you said this, Vance, political powers and structures manipulated by the dragon. The third member is the beast from the earth, the false prophet. Some people, well, who's the false prophet? I'm looking for them everywhere. Well, Again, we have a symbolic interpretation here. Religious and spiritual powers and structures manipulated by the dragon. So she, the harlot, is carried by the beast. She reigns over the many waters. John is told that the many waters are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. We're being told that Babylon, whatever she is, is ubiquitous in her influence. We're being told that Babylon is experienced all over the globe. So it reiterates everything we said before, but there's a little bit of a definition, keywords for those, those three characters there. So we're going to jump into uh, the, the final subject for today's conversation, guys. And it's um, three major interpretations of Revelation chapter 20. So let's jump ahead to Revelation chapter 20. And you get here some the thousand-year reign is what the subject header says. Um, do you want to go first, Vance, as we talk about the thousand-year reign and, and some of the stuff you've studied up on before coming in? Well, I, I always, you know, when I first became a believer, it was kind of the late 90s, early 2000s, and I'd listen to the radio, and the radio programs in Southern California were uh, two different radio stations. One would focus mostly on uh, what, what Bucky was talking about, pre-tribulation, millennium, a uh, thousand years, we're going to get raptured. Rapture is in Thessalonians, uh, and uh, they use the book of Daniel, and they have a lot of uh, Old Testament um, scriptures to back up their point also. Um, somehow there, we're, we're going to reign. The, the kingdom of God doesn't seem like it actually has broken in in that kind of, of uh, doctrine or, let's say, theological um, description. And so it always kind of bothered me because I always liked the idea of the kingdom of God, not like mm-hmm. a liberal idea that the right. kingdom of God is completely taken over like in the late 1900s and early 2000s. And that, I mean, late 1800s and early 1900s when progressivism really started out of Kind of a liberal idea of that millennial kingdom is it is it already here it's already here and we just have to grasp it as humans 
So I think uh, the way I like the, uh, if you still continue to go with every number in the book of Revelation is either a statistic or a symbol. And every one of them look at this, if you, if you decide symbol, then that's the way you should look at it. That's the way he looks at it. Johnson, I would say uh, a thousand years is a symbol, a symbol of the whatever perfection uh, uh, Christ is going to, Christ, God is going to decide when this final decision of bringing the new heaven and the new earth comes down. We do know it some has something to do with how many souls he has predestined to save and that we do need and we as part of our discipleship is to uh, spread this gospel and proclaim it in our lives and uh, in, in, in the word. Uh, so that's what we need to do now. And uh, it, the, the thousand years is a, uh, we are in it. We are in it and it started really uh, probably at the same thing we're talking about when, it, when, the women, when the woman had Christ. That's when it started. Uh, I don't know if there's any uh, specific number or date or anything else you can come up with other than that. Yeah. We are in it. Yep. We're in it. I think he talks about that. It's right. on. Right. It's so, been on since the first Christmas. Right. So if you're still with us, because we're going to do this in one episode, if you haven't figured that out by now, um, and, you're new, and you're brand new to this, uh, a lot of this millennial conversation from Revelation chapter 20 is about the timing. First coming versus second coming. When, how, what era are we in? So I just want to give that, I should have started with that, but uh, you covered some of that, of course, Vance. But the, and there are three major positions. Bucky, the three major positions are? Yeah, and these are positions within Christianity. These are orthodox positions. These would be agree to disagree. These would be non-essentials. And so we could have great debate, collegial discussions. We would all grow deeper as a result of this. Right. And so that's important for us to know. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the major three major systems, the first one would be post-millennialism. And Vance uh, talked a little bit about that, about that. That's more the progressive view. That says because of the gospel and then the social justice, and the progressive structures that will come out of that will actually just evolve into the millennial kingdom, the rule and reign of Christ. So Christ's return comes after the millennial kingdom because we progress into it. Now, historically, we can see with World War I, World War II, what's happening in the world today, that's not happening. So this is not a very popular view. So it doesn't seem to fit with what's going on in the world today. And that, uh, sorry, just to recap what I heard you say, in the, in the post-millennialism view, there's a progressive view of history that it's getting better. Yes. yes. We, things are always getting better until it's perfect. Yes, mm -hmm. and we just evolve into the millennial kingdom, and so Christ doesn't return till the end of that, mm -hmm. and, and that's when he brings his judgment and his second coming. Got it. Right. And so that's post-millennialism. And okay. then you've got uh, premillennialism. That's what Vance talked about. I was raised in that view, too. It's the water I swam in when I was a young Christian, late great planet Earth. We've got uh, great churches that hold to that position, like a Calvary Chapel, uh, you know, great teachers, Chuck Smith. I, so I was raised in this John MacArthur. And so this is the view that I went to college under, actually, and was a part of that teaching and training. And premillennialism says that basically Christ will return before the millennium. And millennium is actually a literal thousand-year reign of Christ. And so Christ returns, and but before that tr term, you have the Great Tribulation, which is actually a literal seven-year period where these tribulations, these seal scrolls, the, these, these are unleashed on the world, and the church, in the, that point of view, is raptured, is taken up into heaven, and rules with Christ during that tribulation period, either, either a, a pre-trib rapture, a post-trib, a mid-trib rapture, 
And so as a result of that, the church is taken away and this tribulation is unleashed. And then Christ returns to the church to judge the living and the dead. And then he sets up an actual literal thousand year rule and reign. Mm -hmm. And at the end of that thousand years, Satan is unleashed again and we go through the same thing again. We go through a great battle, a great conflict. And so in this system, you have two actual great battles and conflicts with Satan, which makes it problematic right. in terms of why, why is that happening. Right. And so that's the, the post-millennial view. And at the end of the millennium, Christ returns and judges the living and the dead. And then uh, the post, the, the amillennial point of view, which is more, I think, what this book is really uh, coming out of, as Vance said, uh, we're in the millennium now. It was inaug it's an inaugurated millennialism. Christ inaugurated the kingdom in his coming, his first mm -hmm. coming, right. his life, his proclamation, the kingdom of God is now here, his death and resurrection inaugurated the kingdom. And so we've been in the millennial kingdom, ruling with Christ as the church, and as people uh, die, whether they're martyred or whether they die of natural causes, they go into heaven and they rule with Christ in the heavens. And, and so we're in that millennial kingdom. And one day as things are going to, going to progress and get worse, we see the judgments, the signs, we see the, the sat satanic things that are happening towards the end uh, of, of the millennium, then Christ will return and the church will be raptured at that point and will all come and establish his kingdom. And, and heaven and earth will be joined together. That's Revelation 20, 21 to 2. And we'll see that forever. And so that's amillennialism. And I, I feel more comfortable with that view these yeah, days. Right. Yeah. So in uh, Mark 1, you know, Jesus, the first time he says anything, the time has come. This is Mark 1, 15. He said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Kind of the inauguration. But there's a great inauguration sermon quickly in Luke 4 right after he's taken through the wilderness uh, and the tempted uh, by the devil uh, he's in his hometown of Nazareth and he gives his first um, a sermon and he it was his scripture lesson he stands up and he says the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That is his first coming, that's the beginning of the kingdom, near, that is the beginning of spilling into us. And if you actually read Isaiah 61, which this is taken from, the next verse is, and the judgment of our God, which is when he comes back. So this is, you know, the inauguration of a kingdom that is kind of spilling into us. Thank God, that's how we're redeemed. Christ came to redeem us from this, to bring us back of the, out of this, but also to proclaim that it's here and it's near, but it's not fulfilled completely. And that would be the second coming. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think there's a, a great summary. Again, Johnson helps us. Um, and we've already said this, but these are very good Christians we love. We're supposed to have unity above all things with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, but we've fought wars over these views. We've split churches over these views, and we have a really sad track we've record. We've so fought wars just over communion. But yeah, right, big time. <laughs> that was one of the earliest ones, as we've talked about in the past. Uh, I, won't, I won't go down that road. Swingley? Was it swing, what was it Swingley? Yeah, well, Swingley and Swingley Luther. And Luther. Yeah, and especially yeah. Calvin and Luther. They like to yell at each oh, other. Oh, Calvin, actually. Swingley and Luther more than Calvin and Luther. They yeah. really like to yell, yeah. at, yell at each other. Yeah. And we have 
different church expressions today because of that yeah. fight. Um, but but uh, I love Johnson again. What he's fighting for some of the unity. What, how we can all agree. Even these three views where they agree, they all agree. Number one, the best is yet to come. We've said this before. Revelation is a hopeful book. If you can read between the lines, it's a hopeful book. So he says the best is yet to come. He says the future is not up for grabs. It belongs to Jesus Christ. So I've heard many pastors say that very simply and eloquently. He exactly. wins. We know yes. who wins. He wins. So that's a, that's a great hope. And then finally, the future is not in our hands. So, um, you know, he goes on to make a sublist there about what he, where, where he thinks the three ought to agree. Um, he, th- he believes that all of them, if they would give a little, they could agree that the thousand years, you said this, Vance, is not a statistic, it's a symbol. Mm-hmm. So all three of them should be able to make that concession, though they don't. And number two, that we ought to agree that Jesus is not to become king. He already is. So I don't know which views have that as a flaw, but he already is. And that's very clear from the verses you, you know, he's reigning um, that you just shared with us a second ago. Number three, they ought to agree that the church is not a helpless victim. I love that point. Amen. That's a the good church one. is not a helpless victim yes. on the stormy stage of history. That's yeah. like, come on. We, you know, that, that, that's why we don't want to conflate martyrdom with mm. victim. You know, yeah. those are two different things. One yes. is not redeeming and self-pity and self-loathing, and one is redeeming and fruitful. So. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, three options ought to agree that the gospel changes things. And so I, I think this has been a fruitful conversation all across the board, but particularly these, these three historical views of the millennial kingdom, because, again, I agree with Johnson, it, it impacts the way we live. It impacts our anticipation, our eagerness, our urgency. It impacts, um, you know, everyday life. These are not just mindless theories. If you guys are thinking we're real geeks and nerds, well, it, it does impact the way you live today. Yeah. You guys would agree? Amen. So <clears throat> we talked about Hebrews the last time we were in, and, and that, that is a, you know, a great book to tell. tells us who our high priest is. He is the true high priest. He is uh, ascended in bodily form, human, 100% human. He's the carnate. He's in, incarnate when he's born, but he's still bodily human. Even though we get an image of him as the lamb, that's, he is there, 100% divine and 100% human at the Father's side. We don't know how that, under, we don't understand that. But what I love is this first part of this first um, uh, chapter one of Revelation where it says, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, mm-hmm. that's kind of the prophet yes. side of him, mm-hmm. uh, the firstborn from the dead. He is the firstborn human right. from the dead. Right. We all talk about being born again, and we're eventually going to be resurrected. He is the first one. And so that's the priest's side. And then this is just for, uh, chapter 1, verse 5. And then the ruler of the kings of the earth. That's the king's side. So we have to remember who he is in all three of those things. He's the prophetic witness. Mm-hmm. He is telling us all the time what to do in, in his scripture, mostly, but even sometimes through other things. Mm-hmm. Um, but also he is right now interceding for, for us. And you mentioned mm. Romans 8. I mean, that's a big part of that. I mean, he is actually, uh, the Holy Spirit is groaning, uh, a, even if we don't know what to pray. And he's praying to the Father. In, uh, we are in him and he is in us. Right. And, and then the final thing, he is the king. And so all these, the whole book of Revelation makes a big point of all three of those. Yeah, he's, it says, it keeps going to verse 5. He's the king to the one, the, the ruler of the kings, and to the one who loves us and has set us free. One five? Yes, yeah. yes. And then one, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. He's the great lover, too. Yeah, he's, he's the great lover. Well, there you go. He's there the you got groom. the marriage. He's the groom. <laughs> he's looking at us coming down the aisle. Yeah. Why would we do adultery? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 
Um, okay, that was a good final word, but I'll give you another one because I didn't tee it up that way. If you want another final word, Bucky, if you want a final word, and I'll take one too. Yeah, I, I would say to our listeners, uh, thanks for joining us. Hopefully you've gleaned some things for this conversation. We would encourage you guys that this is, this is a, a great debate, a great discussion. It's grown me spiritually, so I would encourage you to get Daryl Johnson's book. If you haven't, continue to join in the podcast, look at the, the, the preaching series, come to Watermark mm-hmm. and be a part of this discussion. Have coffee with Ben or I or Vance. We love to discuss these things with you. And so there's great hope in the book of Revelation. And I would just say to the listeners out there who haven't made a decision yet for Jesus Christ, the book of Revelation says the future is in his hands. Mm-hmm. In the end, God yes. wins. Christ is on the throne, and his kingdom will return, and he will reign and rule forever. The question is, does he reign and rule in your heart? Mm-hmm. Yes. Because he will come, and he will judge the living and the dead. And do you want to be with him in his future? Do you want to be with him in eternity, or do you want to be without him in eternity? Mm-hmm. The choice is yours. Mm-hmm. And the answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He gave his life for you. He died for you. He rose for you. And have you said yes to Jesus? Have you said, Jesus, I want my future to be in your hands. I want to be with you for eternity, so I accept your death and resurrection on my behalf. I want to be sealed with the Holy Spirit. I want to be born again. If you want that today, say yes to Jesus. And maybe we can pray for you at the end of this podcast Mm -hmm. that you would know that your future is in his hands forever. Beautiful. He stands at the door and knocks. That's great. He won't open the door, but he knocks. We have to open the door. Go. Uh, so yeah, so that that's the that's the gospel, the 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 salvation, the individual salvation, and then there's another aspect of this gospel, and this is the gospel is it has to do with the church, it has to do with community, and has to do with living together, and has to do with the cost of discipleship, and all of the things we should do and think about once we have kind of, I wouldn't call it signed that ticket to heaven, Mm. but more, let's just say, more than just um, going and standing up and having an altar call, there is much more to it than that. And much more, like you talk about fullness, don't you have the pleru uh, Mm -hmm. tattooed to your your arm? Pleru is the fullness, the Greek word for fullness and flourishing. That occurs not by, you know, just saying yes, which is a great thing to do. Say yes to Jesus. Definitely say yes. Start to dig into it. Start to find out who he is. Get to know him. Get down on your knees and pray to him. Start to really feel him. Uh, it's, there's, there's, there's an intellect part to it, and that's what they talk about also. There's an emotional part to it, and there's an imagination part. You can actually start thinking about him differently. Mm-hmm. But that also connects into church. The church is where you should be mm-hmm. uh, once you do that. You yeah. can't be by yourself. Don't. Don't be in your room all the time thinking that this is what's, you know, what is uh, in store for you, this great um, uh, spirituality. It's beyond that. It's mm-hmm. connecting. It's like we talked about, getting in with small groups, uh, starting, starting to serve, and uh, you'll find that uh, your, your, your life will, even if there's difficulties, and it will be. Many times people think there's more difficulties once this occurs. Mm-hmm. But the Christ will be the strength you need. Yes. Because he provides it not only himself to you, but also through others. And that's the community that we all need. Gosh, your guys' points are companion points. And, and Daryl was the first one I've heard talk about Christ at the door knocking. 
and and he wants to take the first compartment of the house and then each ensuing compartment of the house. There you go. So let him in to yes. each room in each compartment. Mm-hmm. So Bucky covered first door, Vance, you covered the other five doors. And that has been my personal, if I would witness about my life as a believer, as an adult believer, it has been that, letting him take more territory of my heart each time that I feel that prick of my spirit. So that is... Well, your two words are perfect. Mine's going to be incredibly practical. These, I love these great podcasts these days that, that at the end of the episode, they do a, a fact check. <laughs> I'm, going to do a, I'm going to do a clarifier of what I said earlier. I do believe it was a Holy Spirit thing, but it came out a little muddled. When I talked about the George Floyd killing uh, televised or on your phone, on your device, my meaning was twofold. Number one, um, just the fact that people of every age watch that on a screen speaks to the unbelievably raw power of images and that's what revelation is doing so that, that is some kind of allegory is that there's the images do matter they're searing they have a searing effect on our souls that's the first thing i wanted to say is that the, the, that's what this book does it's imagery and we need an imagery reset in our lives today that's very personal and particular to me we we as believers are losing the imagery battle if we spend 10 hours a day on our phones um those hours are probably not very productive or fruitful or redeeming hours. And so we're losing the imagery battle. And that's why I love the book of Revelation. The second thing that I think is relevant from that illustration of the George Floyd um, killing is that there's an example. Look what it did. Look what it did to people. Convicted them. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that there was a, it was a stirring, a, a, a massive upheaval, a cultural, right. probably response. historical mm-hmm. th- thing. And that was mm-hmm. from an unredemptive you know, I, we were talking about martyrdom, mm-hmm. right? And so I guess what I would say out of that is imagine what could happen if it was a redemptive, you know, sacrificial lamb that gives up their life and not a murder, which is a fallen, sick, evil, you know, um, example of, of someone's life being lost. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was the twofold meaning of what struck me in that is number one, don't underestimate the power of images. And number two, um, uh, martyr, martyrdom takes a different shape of, of sacrificial love and, um, it could break cities' hearts. It would have been a great if somebody ran in there, knocked that guy over, that would and sacrificially right. hurt himself or right. even died because of that. Thank you. Uh, that would have been an amazing uh, example of what you're talking full about. Full circle, Vance. Thank you. Knocked that helpful. cop right off his neck. That's helpful. Mm. That's yes. exactly right. To st- to be able to stand up in the face right. of something that was wrong, yeah. yes. even at, at at the cost, great cost to yourself. There yeah. you go. Good. Okay. Thank you guys so much for joining us. And there are ways to reach out, and and it's very clear on watermarkoc.com. You can have coffee with the pastor. You can pray. The, we'll pray with you, and uh, we'd love to support you in this continued journey. Vance, thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Thank you, it was Bucky. Great. You're welcome. We'll see you guys this Sunday. Bucky's going to be handling a lot of these subjects. He's going to talk about the delicate tension between judgment and God's mercy. And so please don't miss it. We still have uh, at least two more weeks in Revelation. And then this fall, we're kicking off a brand new series, Journey uh, journey of the Soul. And so we're going to look inward and, and help people take that step of growth. So journey with us, guys. There's a place for you here. Thanks, everyone. Right. Thank you.